So yeah, so God has really been speaking to us, I feel, over the last couple of weeks, and um, there's been a specific emphasis, a specific message, a specific heart, uh, just a revelation of, a, of God's heart towards us, specifically in moments where uh, we, we can easily doubt God's heart, in moments where we can easily wonder where He is and how He's working and where we can't always see His, His hand, we can't always figure out how God is working. And you may have faced a situation like that in the past, and you may be facing one like that right now, but um, I have just really, honestly, over the last few weeks, I haven't preached now in a couple of weeks. We've had Pastor Alan Plant and Pastor Mark Hodgetts um, sharing here at Anchor, and Pastor Mark will be sharing again next Sunday, um, and he's really just been speaking into my life a lot and speaking into our leadership and speaking into our church as well. And, and there's a, a, a message that he shared last week about around the expert helper, uh, which was just so powerful powerful as he spoke about the humanity of Jesus and how Jesus has, he, to be an expert, you need to have experience. And Jesus has experienced, he was tempted and tried on every point. He was a man who was acquainted with grief and with sorrow. And we know that because of that, he is a compassionate help. Jesus is a compassionate and an expert help in time of need, a very present time, uh, a very present help in time of need. And, and the scriptures are constantly encouraging us to look to Jesus. And so this morning, if there is anything that I can do to help you, it is simply to once again encourage you and remind you that Jesus is your hope. And that He is a hope that will not fail. That He is secure. That He is steadfast. That His love endures forever. That He will not fail you. No matter how you may feel, no matter how... Um, uh, at risk your life may be at this point. That, that's how we perceive it. He has got us in his hands. And the scriptures are constantly encouraging us to simply look to Jesus. The simple message of the gospel is look to. Just look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And in every circumstance, be able to trust in his love. Um, but maybe that's not how you feel today. Maybe today for you in this season, God doesn't feel very present. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody in the week where they said, I feel like God used to speak to me. I feel like God has said some stuff to me in the past, but right now, it's like I just cannot hear him. I, I don't know where he is. And I'm so encouraged by the people in the Bible because I know that they felt the same way often. In fact, Job actually speaks about that. Job faces the loss of pretty much everything in his life. Even his own physical health gets affected at one point. And Job says, he says, if God would just grant me an audience, I would go before him and I would ask him and he would answer me and I would be satisfied. How many of you have kind of had that thought around God? Like, I have no idea why this is happening in my life, but if God would just show up, if we could just organize a meeting, just set a time, how about 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, Jesus, me and you, we can get together in the same place and then we can talk about this and you can explain to me what's going on because I need some answers. Come on, how many of you have been there? You just wanted a moment like that uh, with Jesus. And, and, and we often want that explanation from God. We think the answer will satisfy us. And so maybe that's how you feel in this season, that God just doesn't feel very present. Maybe you've had seasons where you felt like you're struggling to hear his voice or to trace his hand. And, and uh, like the man who came to Jesus, there was, there was a man who came to Jesus with a desperate situation, just a desperate situation. And he came before God and, and, and Jesus said, you, you just got to have faith. You got to believe in God. And he cried out to God. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. Like I'm trying, I'm really trying, but I have unbelief. Can you help me? in this situation. It's so amazing that God can help us even when we struggle to believe, that He is a present help even when we struggle to have that faith. 
And, um, and, and so you may be saying this morning that I'm going through something and I want to trust God, but I'm struggling to trust God. And I've been there, just so that you know. I've been there. It's difficult to trust God. It's difficult to see how he's going to work this all out. Um, and maybe you're, you're in that place today. And again, I take so much courage from the fact that the people in the Bible were just real people like you and I, just ordinary people, flawed people that struggled often. And the nation of Israel, this nation that God uh, worked so powerfully within and spoke to and, 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 prophet, and sent prophets to encourage and did miracles amongst, I mean, they, they really didn't have any reason to doubt the presence of God. He did miraculous things in their presence all of the time, and yet Israel often struggled with this thing of trusting in God when things got tough. And, um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want to talk about uh, when it feels like, like the same place that Israel got to so many times when you've hit the wall. The title of my message this morning is When You Hit the Wall. And I want to talk about how we can really trust the voice of the Holy Spirit in seasons of frustration, when you feel like you've, you've hit a wall. Um, God delivers Israel from Egypt. He delivers them from Egypt miraculously. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years, and all of a sudden God sends Moses as a deliverer. He says, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their affliction, and I have come down to deliver them. That's what God does for all of us. He heard our cries, he sees our afflictions, and he comes to deliver. And God does that powerfully through Moses. And the Red Sea, you've heard the story, but the Red Sea splits open, and the, the people of Israel walk across on dry land, and there is salvation and true deliverance from, from, from slavery in this moment. And then this happens. We go into the next phase because there's always a next chapter. It would be amazing if the story just ended there and it was like, okay, so that's it. So they, they were delivered and the end. But the story continues, right? The same way that they, when you come to faith in Christ, the same way that you uh, come to a place of salvation, the story doesn't end there. That's only the beginning of the story. That's not where, the, where we stop trusting in God. That's only the beginning of our trust in God. There's still a journey beyond that. And so in Exodus 15, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, we're going to read Exodus 15, and we're just going to stay in this one passage this morning. I'll go to the end of this, of this, um, of this chapter, but I want to start off just by reading the first three verses, Exodus 15, 22 to 24, and it speaks about how they, how they came out of the Red Sea. God has delivered them powerfully. Miraculous things have happened, um, and it says in verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? This moment of frustration, they've just had this incredible deliverance, this incredible salvation. The Red Sea is split open. Miracles happen. They walk through on dry land. They watch the Egyptian army overcome by the waves. They are set free, and now they have no water. Can you just imagine what your thoughts are at that point? Like, Jesus, you did all of this, and now what are you doing? We don't have water, and we come to this one place, and the water is bitter. There is actually water. It's worse than having no water is where there is water that you cannot drink. And they're just frustrated. And they begin to cry out, what shall we drink? They begin to murmur, they begin to complain against Moses. So I want to talk about leading well in seasons of frustration and hardship. But let's just go ahead and, uh, and pray together this morning. 
Father, we thank you so much that, uh, God, we can have eyes of faith this morning, Lord God, that we can have, have a vision for our lives and for the journey that you have for us that goes beyond just a moment. Lord God, I thank you that we do not define our, our lives according to one moment or one chapter in the story, Lord. Father, I thank you that where there is frustration this morning, where there is uh, fear, where there is anxiety, where there is doubt over your goodness and over your plans, Lord, that you will inspire us to put our hope and our trust in your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you reveal your love, that you would comfort us with your presence this morning, that your Holy Spirit would give us courage and faith this morning, Lord, to know that you are the God who works all things together for good and that you have a plan for our lives, for our church for our city and for our future, Lord. And we, we give you all the glory this morning. We thank you that you are the one speaking to our hearts, that your word is true, that it is living, that it is powerful, that it is active, that it hastens to accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish, and it never returns to you void, Lord. We thank you, God, that this morning we can be rooted and grounded in your love and that we can be encouraged by your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So how many of you have ever hit a wall? And maybe not physically, although you may have done that as well, or maybe a glass door or something else like that. We have a special counseling group set up just for people that have walked into glass doors, um, as traumatic as that is. But, but how many of you have ever hit a wall? Maybe you've, you've hit a wall when, um, like, like I sometimes do, I tend to go to gym very faithfully for three months and then not so faithfully for six months, right? And and, uh, and then when you go back, you know it's going to hurt. You know that you're going to struggle. And, and it's amazing because you're doing something that other people can do so easily, but you get onto the treadmill or you start doing something that others are clearly having no issue with. But before long, you, you know, you, you're starting to feel as if you're physically going to die, as if you're going to see Jesus in a moment and uh, you're going to enter into glory. And uh, there have been times when, when I have... Uh, you know, been in the gym, and I've actually wondered like whether I was going to make it out of that gym that day, and it can be really tough when you hit, when you hit that wall. Um, I was playing touch rugby the other night, and, uh, and I ended up catching the ball, intercepting the ball on our try line, and the moment I did it, I knew that I had made a mistake, because now I had to run like 80 meters in the opposite direction, and I did it. I ran a full 80 meters, and I put it down, and I got up, and I was like high-fiving people, but actually, I was seeing visions of Jesus, and... <laughs> And I was like, I just need to sub for a while, guys. I think my leg is a little bit, but I, I sat down and I felt like I was dead. So you may have hit the wall like that when you've gone back to gym or tried to run again when you haven't run for a while. Um, or emotionally, perhaps, maybe if you've, if you've been facing a tough season or a season of difficulty that just seems to drag on. Sometimes you're like, yes, I can do this. I'm good. I'll face this difficulty with courage. And then a week passes by and you're like, I've still got courage. And then a month goes by and you're like, yeah, I do have courage. And then, you know, six months later, you're like, Jesus, when will this end? You know, and you just, you feel like you hit a wall emotionally. Where I just can't keep doing this. And maybe you've been in that space or perhaps it's been mentally uh, if, you, if you've had a season of a lot of stress, maybe at, 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 at work or with kids or anxiety or, um, you know, the business of life can just really take a toll on us and you feel like, I just don't have the ability to go further. That's what we talk about when we say that you've hit a wall, that you've hit the end of, of yourself, that you've hit the end of your abilities in any one of those spheres and, and it can be like hitting a physical wall. And when I thought about that whole term, I thought about when I was, I was younger, um, I always, I had two sisters that were born after me, and I desperately prayed for a brother, because I, 
tried as, 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 as hard as I could to get my sister that was just two years younger than me to learn how to bowl a cricket ball. And it was an impossible task. It is easier to bring the city of Joburg to Jesus than to get my sister to bowl a cricket ball. And I remember, I remember standing with my bat once and, and saying, so all you do is this. It's so easy how you do it, right? And she tried so hard, and, and I've got to give her credit. She, she was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I remember watching the ball sailing over over the wall, and I was like, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know what to do anymore, you know? And, um, and so I prayed for a brother, and eventually had a brother, and so he was seven years younger than me now by this point, though, and so um, it also took a while for the cricket thing to happen, but in the meantime, we had a lot of fun, and I always loved kind of playing with him or, or making him laugh or whatever, and so I remember in our house, we had this really long passage, and at the end of the passage was my parents' uh, kind of changing room, and there was a wall at the, at the end of that, obviously at the end of the passage, the end of the house. And he had this little, those little black plastic motorbikes that little kids get. And so I would push him down the passage on this little bike, and then I would release him, and he would go like sailing into my parents' room and into the change room. And so I did that a couple of times, and he was absolutely loving it. I, was, I thought to myself, I'm the greatest older brother ever, you know, I'm, he's having so much fun, and so the more fun he's having, the harder I'm pushing, you know, for the, because more speed means more fun, and so, and, and so he's laughing and laughing, and at one point, I just overdid it a little bit, and I pushed him, and I realized when he sailed past my parents' bedroom door, I was like, okay, this is not going to end well, and, um, and all of a sudden, and he was actually laughing up until the point that he actually hit the wall. And his front wheel, the front wheel, I'll never forget, hit the bottom uh, cornice of, of the wall, and he went right over the handlebars. But because he was still laughing, it might have turned into a scream at that point, but his mouth was open, and he hit the wall with his two front teeth, right? He literally bit the wall. Talk about hitting the wall. And he was really little. I think he was only maybe three years old or whatever, but um, one of his, two, his teeth, his two front teeth died at that, at that time. Um, and it went all gray and stuff. So, and so you, if you look at, at photos of my brother from when he was you know, younger than seven, he's got like one gray tooth, and I'm like, yeah, that's my fault. Um, that's what you get for having an older brother. And, and so he, you know, he was having so much fun. He, like, things were going so well up until the point where he hit the wall. And that's really what it's like. We're like, this is great. I've been saved. Israel must have felt like this. We just walked through the sea. We walked through the Red Sea, like on dry land. It opened up. You know, we could walk through. We watched the whole army drown. I mean, this is amazing. God is awesome. Surely from this point onwards, all we can expect is more of this, right? This is just going to be the best journey ever. We'll skip through the desert. We'll arrive at the land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, we won't have to fight any more wars. You know, people will just get out of our way. We'll take cities. We'll, we'll build a nation. Come on, this is going to be an incredible trip. It's absolutely amazing. So much fun. Right up until the point where they get to this region called Shur. And uh, what's really interesting is that the word Shur means wall. That region of Shur actually means wall. So right, they're having a lot of fun right up until the point that they hit the wall. And it was called Shur because the Egyptian empire built a wall um, through the desert at that point um, or earlier on, to protect them from the northeastern tribes of the desert. So literally, Israel come out of this amazing deliverance moment only to hit a wall three days later. So much fun until your front tooth dies because you just bit the wall. And that's what Israel was facing in this moment as they arrive um, in this place. 
And I think that so many Christians believe that, that because they're saved and, and, and because God has delivered them, because God has done something miraculous in their lives, that the rest of the journey as Christians is going to just be smooth sailing, that we won't face hardship, that we won't face difficulties, that we won't face moments of confusion or moments of disappointment, that God is just going to bless us with money and with a carefree life and perfectly Instagrammable moments. Come on, how many of you wish that your life was as cool as your Instagram page, right? Because there's a ton of stuff that happens, you know, between those posts that we don't post because they're not glamorous, because they're not fun, because they're not nice, right? I posted a pic of me and my boys yesterday, and um, they weren't posing perfectly, but it looked like we were having a lot of fun. But there was a lot of the <laughs> moments in between that wasn't fun, right? And where I, didn't, I wasn't smiling. And, um, you know, if you have kids, you'll know what I'm talking about. And, and, and so, so often we think that that's what the Christian life is going to look like until we hit that wall. And then we wonder, what is happening now? I didn't think that this was going to be a part of my story. This is not the way that things were supposed to go. It's not the way that I had imagined it. And what's really interesting is that um, Israel hit the region of Shur and came to the place called Mara, but they were actually on their way somewhere else. They had a vision for another place called Elam. They wanted to go to the region of Elam because Elam is this incredible oasis within the desert that has 12 wells full of water. The Bible describes it. 12 wells full of water and 70 palm trees. The word Elam means trees. They're on their place to the trees, the trees that are in the desert with the water and the, and I don't know what else you have at an oasis. I think there's a camel and there's some good looking rocks. I mean, I don't know what else, but it's water and it's amazing and it's fun. And this is where we're going. We've been come out of Egypt and we're on our way to Elam. It's going to be awesome. And instead, before they get to Elam, they hit the wall. They come to the region of Shur and they come to this place of Bitter waters. The word Mara means bitter. They called the place, they named the place bitter because it, the waters there were bitter that you couldn't drink them, you couldn't be refreshed. And so this is not what they were expecting at all. Have you ever had one of those expectation versus reality moments where you expect something to be a certain way and then it ends up being something else? Like, like for anybody who has ever ordered clothes online, anybody ever done that? expectation versus reality. I, I saw a photo in the week of, of somebody that, like a girl that ordered a matric dance dress um, or, you know, or a prom dress off of the internet. And then there's this model wearing the dress and it looks amazing. And then when she's wearing it, literally like one arm is longer than the other. And it's like the whole thing is just completely messed up. The reality didn't match the photo. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you enjoy fast food or you enjoy eating out every now and again, grabbing some takeaways or whatever. And so often when we go, this is your expectation, right? Because that's what you see on the menu is that perfectly designed burger, perfectly built. Um, it's just going to be absolutely amazing. And then you order it, and the reality looks like that. <laughs> and that is the most attractive angle at which that burger has been photographed, right? And, and so expectation versus reality can sometimes be... Uh, very frustrating, and this is what frustrates Israel, is that they are thinking, we're going to Elam, and they end up at Marah. We're going to Elam, and instead we've received Marah. And so there's frustration, and you may be facing frustration. But what I want to tell you this morning is that letting frustration become discontentment is dangerous. We face frustration, but we never become discontent. 
We experience this frustration when we encounter the gap between the expectation and the reality. And what we must learn and what God wants to show us is that he is present in your frustration. That he doesn't walk away in moments of frustration. You're not experiencing the frustration because God has left the building. But that in the frustration, God actually has a blessing for your life. In the midst of the difficulty, he is doing something more expensive than anything you could have done for yourself. And so God wants us to lead well in seasons of frustration. Lead our families well, lead our churches well, lead our, our, our environment well. He wants us to lead more than anything ourselves well in moments of frustration. Can you lead yourself when you're frustrated? Can you trust in God and his goodness and his provision in those moments? Because what you'll find out over time is that God's blessing is often more abundant in the midst of frustration than it is when things are going well. There's a, an abundant blessing. The greatest temptation uh, for us in those moments is to go into the flesh. And this is, this is one thing that I've you know, just been so focused on over the last couple of weeks is just to stay in the spirit so that I am not. The Bible says, walk by the Spirit. In other words, let God lead you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Let God lead you so that you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, the lusts of the flesh includes not being able to be patient and wanting to just figure things out for yourself and just make something happen so that you feel better about your life. But it's actually an incredible temptation because it leads to somewhere that is unhealthy. God doesn't want us to be ruled by the lusts of our flesh. He wants us to be focused on the Spirit and be led well by the Holy Spirit in those moments. That's something that, that I've just, and, and I've noticed, like, what are the things that actually tempt you? What, what are the things that you'll experience that'll pull you into that temptation really quickly? One of them that you'll feel is, is hurt, is when you've actually experience some form of hurt because then what happens is you get angry and when you get angry you want to act out in anger and that would be in the flesh when you hurt when you're disappointed when you're anxious how many of you when you're anxious you're like i do trust jesus but i'm just going to go ahead and do this anyways because i just feel like it's going to help when you get anxious that's why the bible says don't be anxious for anything but with all things, just make your prayers and requests known to God with thanksgiving. In other words, you can trust God. And if you trust in Him, your heart will be settled and you won't go into the flesh. You'll just keep walking by the Spirit. It's so important that when we face moments of frustration that we remain, that we keep engaging with God. Keep engaging. And if you need to engage more, then engage more. If you need to take more moments out to hear His voice, then do that. Make sure that you're taking time to check or to, or, to, or to remain accountable or to stay open to God's voice and to his leading. But like we see with the people of Israel, they come to, to Marah and they, they begin to be frustrated and, and what happens is they murmur. They murmur and people murmur like that. They begin to complain against God. And so I've got four things. How, how can you be spirit-led under pressure? And I want to take four things out of what God showed Moses here at the place of Marah, at the place of Shur, in the region of Shur. Four things. How can you be spirit-led under pressure? Number one is to know that what got you to this point won't get you through this point. What got you to this point won't get you through this point, right? God is not always going to do a Red Sea thing. 
And I can imagine how, how they must have, have thought this, that, that God has in moments delivered us in the past in miraculous ways. There was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and there was a Red Sea splitting. And so, uh, and so I can imagine them saying, hey, hey, Moses, can you just quickly come here, come here, bring that staff. You know that one that you lifted up the last time we were in trouble and then the Red Sea split open. Just bring the staff, just raise it up. Let's just see whatever needs to happen, happen here and let's just move on beyond this place. And so often when God delivers us in one way, when he delivers us in a moment, when he saves us in a moment, when we then face difficulty, we expect God to save us in a moment instantly like he did the first time. But what got you to that point won't always get you through. God doesn't do it in the same way. Anybody can stand in front of a crowd and lift a staff and see the Red Sea split open. It's a lot more difficult to walk through the valley of the shadow of death where his rod and his staff comfort you as you go. And so God really, as we mature as believers, wants to take us from deliverance leadership, where we lead through a moment of deliverance, to daily leadership, where you're able to be led and to lead yourself daily, where you deal with the frustration on an ongoing basis rather than momentary frustration that gets solved in a moment as well. Does that make sense this morning? In other words, God wants to do something expensive in your life by not making it all just go away. But by causing you to trust in Him every day as you walk it out. And He says, His mercies are new every morning. His, his grace is abundant. So you don't have to fear tomorrow. He's already given us enough grace tomorrow to deal with that situation. It's actually an incredibly beautiful thing that God does in our lives as he causes us to trust in him. God is not always gonna deliver you in the way that you expect him to. That's also why we get angry with God, why we get frustrated, because we've already figured out how we would like God to deliver us. And he goes, no, I've got my own way, thank you. Like, I'll do, I'll do it in my time, in my way. And what I need you to do is trust in me. I need you to walk this out. And for the last few weeks, that has been my bread and butter. Like I've prayed many prayers and I, and I tell God exactly what I feel. Like I tell God exactly what I would like him to do and exactly what I, how I think he should do it. And, and then at the end of the prayer, I go, but I, I submit it to you, Lord. <laughs> hey, Jesus did that. He's like, Lord, please take this away, but not my will, your will be done. So it's biblical, it's biblical. Um, so I first counsel God and then God counsels me, but in Nahum 1 verse 7, it says this. It says, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. God is good. He is a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. Isn't that amazing to know? That when you are facing those situations, that God remains close. And that's something that sometimes you have to tell yourself because you might not be feeling it. You see, we, we don't base whether God is close to us or not by how we feel. That would be a mistake because your feelings are gonna go, they're gonna fluctuate. What we do is we trust his truth through faith. So if this scripture tells me that God is close, regardless of how I feel, he's close and he is a safe refuge. We can run to him in times of trouble and, and that's what I wanna encourage you to do when you face frustration is don't disengage, engage with your savior and he will show you a revelation for breakthrough. 
He'll show you the revelation. He'll, uh, he, he'll encourage you to stay up front. It's so amazing to be able to stay up front and to stay ahead of your emotions. And, and like we spoke about a few weeks ago when I shared the message, give glory, grow stronger, is that you can actually strengthen yourself in the faithfulness of God. The more you look at his faithfulness, the more you'll be strengthened. So that's the first thing that I wanna encourage you with is that your leadership and, and the way that God is gonna lead you through seasons of frustration is not going to necessarily be the same way that you got saved. It's a much deeper and a much more complete process that God wants to take you through. So what got you to this point won't get you through this point. The second point is you have to embrace where you are. You have to embrace where you are. Until you embrace where you are, you can't change where you're headed. Until you embrace what your current situation is, you can't change where you're headed. If you're lost and you don't know where on the map that you are, like if you've gone into a big mall or into a big theme park or something like that, and, and, and you, you know, that's why they actually show uh, that you are here, because if you don't know where you are right now and you can't admit that, then you have no idea how you're going to change the course to which you're headed. So we have to be able to take stock of our lives and say, this is actually where I am. Face your reality. The gospel gives us the courage to do that because it doesn't affect how much you're loved. It doesn't affect how much God wants to work in your life. It doesn't affect his feelings towards you. You can actually say, I'm in a broken place or I'm in a hurtful place or I'm in a disappointed place or I'm in a frustrated place. Be honest with the place that you're in because that's the way that you can move forward and God gives us the ability in that way to embrace the pain. It frustrates me because of what I've experienced and what I've learned when, when um, in the name of faith, a lot of pastors counsel people to not necessarily look at the pain of their past. And I understand what they mean when they say that in the sense that Jesus has dealt with our past and we don't dwell in our past and we don't, we don't live our lives from the platform of our past. We don't allow our past to determine our future. I understand all of those things that our past is behind us and God has got greater things for us. But too many people walk around not knowing that they are still actually carrying the baggage of the past because they've never looked at it. Because the pastor told them, you don't have to look at it, just move forward. But they go, okay, I'm moving forward, but I'm still actually carrying the pain of the past. And so what I believe that God actually wants to do in our lives is a restoration work as we move into that daily leadership that is far deeper than just going, well, everything is fine now, which can so often just be a denial of what you've actually faced in the past. God wants you to know where you, where you are. And one of the things that God has, by His grace, given me the ability to do and will give you the ability to do is to actually, instead of running away from the pain of the past, to face it. To actually revisit it if you need to. To go there and to look your pain in the face and go, I'm not intimidated anymore. I'm not gonna be lost here. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm not gonna be overcome because greater is he who is in me. And so you can now, because of God's presence, be honest about where you are and face your deepest pain. And you know what that does? It brings God on the scene in those moments, in that hurt, hurts that we lock away even from God. And all of a sudden he says, finally, I can begin to heal this. You see, God wants to actually heal you at a very, very deep level. Total restoration is, he's not gonna settle for anything less. And if so, sometimes if God needs to re-break and, and break open those situations, constantly bringing you back to the same insecurities, he's gonna keep doing it until you go, okay, God, I need your help here. 
He wants to destroy our insecurities by his love. And he'll take us through the process if he needs to. So we can, we can, we can face our pain. Pain is your friend. And patience is your ally. Just patience as God works through it. It's like an endurance athlete. An endurance athlete, I mean, that's painful. Running for that long is painful. And, and what an endurance athlete never does, and you'll see if these guys are running the comrades or running any of these, the big marathons, is that they never try and see if they can see, even if they're close enough, they never try and see if they can see the finish line. They just focus on the next step. And too often we become overwhelmed because we're trying to figure out what's going to happen 20 kilometers down the road already, instead of just saying, I can trust Jesus for tomorrow. That's what I can figure out. That's what I can do. That's what I can step into is his grace for tomorrow. And Jesus says, this. He says, don't worry about, about tomorrow. It's, it's got enough concerns of its own. Every day, God is present. There's enough grace for every step of your journey. And so rather than being overwhelmed trying to figure it all out, just focus on that next step and, and, and work through those things. This is, this is where God begins to really work in us when we're no longer trying to escape our now, but we embrace it and we allow him to work in us. God ultimately wants to do something in you before he can do something through you. And we always think as Christians that the miracle is at Elam. We always think that the miracle is when we get to that place with the 12 wells and the 70 trees and, and all the rest. But actually, as we'll see in the story, the miracle is at Mara. There is a miracle that God wants to do in your bitter moment. So he doesn't want you to, to escape it. He wants to bless you in it. Charles Spurgeon, uh, I've shared this quote before, it's such a great one, but Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Whatever the wave is that's smashing you against the rock of ages, that's causing you to trust in Jesus in a greater wave, in, in a greater wave, that was awesome, a great, greater wave. Um, whatever it is that's smashing you against Christ is something to be embraced, no matter how hard it might be or feel in the moment. So that's the, the second thing, um, is that you have to embrace where you are. If you're going to lead well under pressure, embrace where you are and face it with courage. The third thing is that everything you need is within your reach. And this is where the miracle begins to happen. Everything that you need to come through the season is actually already within your reach. We just don't realize that, that God's grace has already been, been uh, poured out. C.S. Lewis has this concept of the eternal now. Carl Barth also talks about it in his theology where he speaks about um, how direct communication with God isn't direct communication with God because God has already communicated fully and completely before the foundation of the world. We just experience his communication in, as it breaks through in our reality of time. I say all of that to say that there is a now that you're experiencing that feels like it's very recent and it's like it's something that God has just done, but God's already ordained that moment for you before the foundation of the earth, including the redemption of it. He's already in your future. He's already given the answer. He's already provided the way. He's already made the solution. He's already paid the price. He's already done everything that you need to get through this moment. It's all ours already. And so all that we need really is for God to change our perspective so that we can see it. Your solution is already at hand. Exodus 15, 24, the next verses there, 24 and 25 says, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? 25 says, and he cried to the Lord. He cries out to God. Moses is like, I don't know what to do. 
I just lifted the staff the last time. That worked. This time, I, I have no idea. He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. He threw it into, the Lord showed him. He cried out to God. God showed him a solution. He threw that log into the water, and it changed the situation. There was, these waters became sweet. So Moses cries out to God, and that really is the intention of the frustration. That in those moments, we would cry out to him. That's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to run away or disengage. He wants you to cry out to him. God is blessed by the fact that we recognize our need for him. And he constantly brings us to moments where we are reminded of our need for him. One of the greatest blessings that you can ever, uh, moments that you can ever come to in your life is, is when you come to the end of yourself consistently over and over again because it means that in all of those situations, you can just step back and cry out to God. That was the intention. That's what God wanted from Israel to understand that they needed him. Our frustrations lead us closer to God. And it, you know, frustration, life can feel really unfair. But this actually is unfair, but it's unfair in our favor. It's unfair that in the midst of our frustrations, we get to, to draw close to the creator of heaven and earth. And in the midst of, of even sometimes our own mistakes, we get to see God bless us through the hurt and the pain that follows. It's unfair that God would do such a gracious, redemptive work in each of us, no matter what we go through. To be so blessed by him and so refreshed by him, to be made so wise in him. So God turns Moses' head to see a tree. And that's what happens when we get frustrated is that we often have the wrong perspective. And so God actually turns our heads when we turn to him. He turns our heads and he gives us perspective. He shows us the solution that was there all along that we didn't see before because of our frustration. So peace with God isn't the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of trust. It's not that nothing's going wrong, but it's that you trust God even when it does. And God wants us to, to trust him so that he can change our perspective. And God does a miracle in this moment. He shows Moses this, this, this log, this tree, and Moses chucks it into the water. And the waters are changed from bitter to sweet. And whenever I, I see analogies like that, and I know that all throughout the Old Testament, this is what God constantly says. But I cannot help but think about how God has redeemed us through the cross, through Jesus. That through the cross, through the, the log of the cross, our bitter waters have been turned into sweet. That we can trust in God's goodness today because the greatest need that any of us ever had was, was the need for salvation, being sinners as we are. And in that moment, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And if he did not spare his own son, the scripture says, how will he not now with him give us all things? So there's this incredible thing that God does Whenever we're in need, his redemption is so great. Isaiah 61.3 says, he will give them beauty for ashes. Just listen to this, because this is the heart of God towards us. The heart of God towards us. He will give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or the spirit of weariness. They will be like trees that the Lord himself has planted, Elam, the place of trees, 
He, they will be like those trees that the Lord God himself has planted so that he might display his glory. Isn't that incredible? God wants to take your ashes and give you beauty for it. He wants to take your mourning and he wants to give you an oil of joy. He wants to, he wants to take your, 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 your weariness and your heaviness and he wants to give you a spirit of praise, a garment of praise so that your life will be planted like a tree planted by the river that will flourish and that through that, God will get glory. That's, that's the heart of God. He turns our bitterness into joy. And what's so significant is that when Jesus went to go and give his manifesto for his life, when he, when he got up and he went into the synagogue and he asked for the scroll of Isaiah to be read and, and, and they handed him the scroll and he read this out in the presence of those in the synagogue, declaring, this is why I am on earth. Guess what it was that Jesus read? It was Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the, to the poor and to bring uh, healing to the brokenhearted and sight to the blind and that the lame may walk. And, 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 and he continues and the verses that follow what Jesus read there, uh, we see that in Luke 4 um, is, are these words where he says, and he will give them beauty for ashes. That's what Jesus came to do. This is a testimony of what Jesus does in our lives. So this is not just being clever or following good advice. This is actually what happens. These things that I've mentioned this morning, being able to lead well in times of frustration, it's not because we're clever enough to handle frustration. It's because the log went into the water. It's because Jesus showed up. It's because he is present in our lives. It's because he's turning the situation around. At the end of the day, Elam was a bonus. The miracle was at Mara. The miracle was at Mara. Revelation 7.17 says, for the lamb, just listen to this, just the heart of God, just the, the father heart of God. If, you, if you've doubted it for a moment, I hope that you'll be encouraged this morning. Revelation 7.17 says, for the lamb, Jesus, in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of water of life. He will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Just think about that for a moment in the tears that you've cried. That God is the one who leads you to the waters of life. That Jesus, the lamb, the center of the throne is our shepherd. And what he does is he wipes away every tear that we have. Such a beautiful picture. This week, um, my little boy Leo, three years old, needed to go for a dental operation. And so he was super excited because whenever he gets to have alone time with dad, being a twin and three boys, he doesn't get that often. So alone time, it doesn't even matter if they're going to, you know, poke me full of needles and, and you know, extract teeth or whatever. As long as I get alone time with dad, he's happy. I'll never forget the first time I took him for breakfast alone. I was carrying him through the mall. He literally told everybody we passed, I'm having breakfast with my dad. Like, you know, this is one opportunity to have breakfast alone with his dad. And he was so excited about it. And, and so he gets, he's so excited. We're going to the dentist for an operation, but he is so pumped about this. And he's excited and he's chatty and he's laughing. And, and uh, obviously he then uh, goes into theater and he was uh, put under an anesthetic, a general anesthetic, and he's out for two hours and he wakes up and he is grumpy 
but it was the funniest thing because he's so kind normally and whatever, but he was so adamant. Um, he just wanted two things. He wanted his Coke that they put by his bedside table, and he wanted to go home. And so I thought maybe he needed the bathroom or whatever. He got off the bed, he took his Coke, and he just walked out. He's still half drugged, but he's just, I'm out, I'm out. And so the, 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 the dentist actually came and, and quickly signed him out and said, it's okay, you can take him. Because that boy was not staying there one minute longer. He's like, I am grumpy and I want to go home. And, um, and so we got home and he was crying um, because he couldn't feel his lips, okay? So it's such a weird sensation because he, he just, his whole mouth is dead and he's crying because it's frustrating and he wants to drink and he wants to eat, he's hungry, but... He can't. And I know as a dad that it's temporary, that the life is going to come back in a moment. And I remember he's crying, he's got his head down, and you know, the scriptures talk about God being the lifter of our heads. Just beautiful images about God's heart towards us. And I, I put my, my, my finger under his, his chin, and I just lift his, his head, and he had these two perfect little tears just like perched on his cheeks, on either cheek. Just so sad about the fact that his lips are dead. <laughs> and, um, and I just wiped away those tears, and in an instant, I just thought about the heart of our Father. He knows that the life is gonna come back. He knows that this is a temporary thing. He knows that this is just a season. But yet, in the midst of that, he still lifts your head, and he still wipes away those tears. This is, this is the heart of the God that we have. It's something we've gotta trust in. He is the God who wipes away our tears. Listen to Psalm 56, verse 8, my last scripture for the morning. It says, you have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Can you just imagine that every tear that you have cried, God has stored up. He has written it down. And he is the one who we see at the end of the book. In Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down, there's a God who sits on the throne. And he says, behold, I make all things new. I will wipe away every tear. The pain that you're feeling, the frustration that you're feeling, the hardship that you go through, it doesn't even compare. It's not even worthy of being compared to the glory that God will reveal in and through your situation in the times to come. And that's the hope that we have. The final point is that God is more than faithful. God is more than faithful. What's really, really funny, if you take a map and you look at where Mara was compared to where Elam was that they were going to, Elam was eight kilometers away. It was so close. It was so close. They thought that Mara was gonna be their future, but instead God had just eight kilometers away he had Elam. Their breakthrough was right there. But sometimes before God takes you to Elam, he stops you at Mara because he wants to do a miracle in your life. That's where the miracle is. That's where the cross uh, it takes its full glory in those moments of brokenness. Like we see in the story of Job, God gives us double for our trouble. At the end of the story of Job, he gets twice as much as what he had before he lost everything the first time around. I've read this quote as well. In fact, I think I read it only a few weeks ago, but I just had to read it again for those of you that have, haven't heard it yet. Um, but it's a quote by Charles Spurgeon again, and he says this. He says, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. 
When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When you are so weak that you cannot do much more than cry, you coin diamonds with both your eyes. The sweetest prayers God ever hears are the groans and sighs of those who have no hope in anything but his love. And that's where our hope is grounded. That's where our hope is is rooted, is in his love. This is where the work of the cross happens, where God reveals who he is so that we will trust him and follow him and listen to him and ultimately see him lead us to the place of Elam. But for right now, if you're stuck at Mara, embrace where you are because God is doing a miracle. God is gonna do something in you that in the future, he will be able to do through you. In the same uh, measure of compassion and comfort that you receive in this season, in the future, you will be able to comfort others also. God has got a bigger plan for your life than just a comfortable journey all the way to the end. He wants to do something great in us and through us. Isn't that encouraging to know? So this morning, I hope that if you are facing a season of frustration, that you will remember these four things, that you'll remember that what got you to this point won't get you through this point, that you'll remember to embrace where you are, that you'll remember that everything that you need is actually already within your reach through Jesus, and that God is more than faithful to fulfill every promise, every plan, and every good work that he has preordained concerning you. How many of you are grateful for that this morning? Come on, God is so faithful. Let's, let's go ahead and, and pray together as we just thank Jesus for this.